Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I should have gone. You should have gone to the third. I don't know what that I means. I went up to the octave. Let's do try the, again. You do the third. Okay. Ooh. Wait, you. <laughs> hey, everyone. So I'm really bad at harmonies. You are not. I really am. Whenever we're in the studio, I really have to. How's the studio going, by the way? Good. You've been working on a lot of new music during quarantine, right? I guess it's close enough to us. Yeah. Yeah, I've been working on a lot of new... Well, not really during quarantine. I worked on it last year. Uh-huh. And then I was going to put it out. What are you planning to release next with your music? I can't say the name of it. I'm not allowed. Oh, okay. To myself, I'm not allowed. It's not like I have like a team of people being like, you can't say anything. It's just top secret. Okay, but you're... I'm going to put a single out. Great. I think at the end of October, just before the fuck show that's going to be the election. Yeah, people are going to need good music to get through that. Wait, you just saw the lights going on off, right? Yeah. Okay, thank God. Because I was stroking out again. Can we back up? Because I feel like you're being... Back it up. Secretive. Back it up, back it up. Since when have you been working on the songs that are going to turn into these single releases that you have planned throughout the winter? It has been... A year and a half. So mm-hmm. I finished at exactly this time last year. And I had been recording and writing for the whole year. Oh, I can't wait to hear your new stuff. Thanks, girl. Can you give us any kind of sneak peek at what the writing has been about? Uh, yes. It has been about dealing with my childhood. Mm-hmm. Do tell. Do tell I've the juicy been... details. <laughs> do we have to wait for the single? Yeah, you do have to wait for the single, but um, but also I can just say some bits. Okay, so... Yeah, give us some, you know... Dealing with grief. So my dad passed away eight years ago, and it's so funny. When I say passed away, it feels really inauthentic because I just want to say died, but it makes people so uncomfortable when I say he's dead. Because mm-hmm. for me, that's just how I, I'm just like, he's dead. So how would you say, if you didn't I'd have to be PC, he, how would you talk about I'd say he talk- died eight years ago. Right. But it's Yeah, feels, that's really harsh. It's very brutal for yeah, people. It is brutal for people. So I say like, oh, he passed away or he passed on. But okay, so he died eight years ago. So I'm dealing with that after he died, I, oh, I just like couldn't write. Yeah. I, I couldn't write. I couldn't write for... For like eternity, it was probably a year or two. Because every time I would try and write, I would just start sobbing. No matter what you were writing about, anything. As soon as my voice started to, as soon as I started to sing, I is that crying. is that because you and your dad were involved in music together? Did you work with your dad musically? No, I mean I sang with him live a few times, but. Not really. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes he would call me with lyrics and say, do, do I think this is good? And I'd say, yeah, this is good or this is bad. But, <laughs> but, but it was just that 
being creative in any capacity or was it because you and your dad were connected as fellow musicians? Yeah, I think it's that. And then also just for me, the singing was, it's a big like heart opener for me, the singing. And absolutely, I couldn't open my heart because my heart was broken to pieces. Yeah. It was just too So how was emotional. how was the recording process for this new music that you're about to release? Were you able to access the emotional places you needed yeah. to sing? So finally after seven years I felt able to start writing wow. about it. That must have been a journey. Yeah, I'm it was sure. really hard at times. Yeah, yeah, I had to really like resist giving up because it would be very painful. And I would want to just stop writing and just move on to something else. But I knew that it was there ready to come out and I just needed to persevere and give it the space to do so. Mm -hmm. I think many people can identify with that, whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. I think grief can (laughs) crush a lot of Mm. creativity and Mm. and inspiration and hope and all that kind of thing and you just have to push through it don't you yeah i mean you just have to try and try and try through that pain yep and just keep processing it that's i think the thing about grief is that you never get over it never it never goes away i wish more people would understand that about grief because there's this lie that we're all conditioned to believe that one day it's just supposed to be magically gone and you're supposed oh. to be better. Yeah, it's... it's And you're supposed to let it go. No, it's complete rubbish. It's complete but rubbish. But you're never supposed to let it go. No, you can't. You it, can't. It changes you and it becomes a part of you and you don't get over grief. You learn to live with it. Right. You know, they say... Um, I guess we have these, like, seven-year hormone cycles or seven-year life cycles that change. I just find it so interesting that it took me seven years to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going through some cycles in my life right now that have been exactly seven Seven years years. as well. Yeah. Yep. That's so crazy. That is interesting. I want to do more research on that because I've heard it too, but I don't know a lot about what it all means. Yeah. And like your cells renew. I think that's less than seven years, the cells renewing, but all of that stuff. And I also want to know more about, is it called the circadian rhythm of your body? I don't know. Your body has this like natural them where there's like an optimal time to eat sleep drink what like this whole thing but it's also i think a spiritual thing and it's like a cellular thing well i follow that would you like me to start Good talking God about that no. for an hour would you like me to tell everybody about my eating and sleeping rhythms can you talk to us more about lemon water <laughs> <laughs> annabelle thinks it's incredibly boring when i talk about self-care I mean, because it's just, there's so much more things I want to hear about from you. Okay, what do you want to hear about? Okay, so. Come on, let's get down to the juicy stuff. So I feel like I've briefly dipped into my music stuff and we can chat about it more, but let's ask you about yours. My musical agenda for the rest of this year, I've been writing a lot of new music. I've got five songs that I'm really crazy about. I think from those five, I'm going to choose three. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of doing a three-song EP just for fun. Love that. But 
you know, people like putting their singles out one at a time. And that can also be a fun thing if you do like a single every couple months or something. I don't know. I might stretch it yeah. out. I might Put release all at once. one after another sure. for th- three months and then do like a completely purchased little EP. Yeah, that might be fun. Tell me about the songs. Is it just you and the piano? It's just me and the piano right now. My producer, his name is Michael Simzik. He's also my drummer. And his dad is Bill Simzik. A very famous, it's not a famous person. Amazing you know, I producer. Won't, I won't know who that is. If yeah, it's a he's, famous person. He's produced with my father together. They've worked together since they were our age, and which so, is twenty one. Yeah, we're both twenty one. You're twenty one too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So Michael and I creating music together now is really Cute. amazing, and we just played. He played the troubadour with me. We got to perform there together. Desperado, not covering the Eagles, but covering Linda Ronstadt mm. because she's the one that yeah. actually blew that song up yeah. to begin with. And she played it at the Troubadour. So it oh, was really Linda. incredible to cover it there. So anyway, Mike and I, we were trying to remotely record back and forth and mm. send files to each other. And I was just going nuts. It's hard. It's I couldn't easy. do it. I finally called him. I said, I can't do this. You know, I'm trying to record in my apartment. There's dogs in the mm. neighborhood. I can't get a clean take. I'm in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't do this. I, I really, really wanted to record and release new music during quarantine. But he finally said to me, look, this might not be the time that you release. This might be the time that you write. Yeah, totally. Just let up off yourself. Don't, yeah. you know, because I felt this need, like I think many of us have. To, to be super productive. Yeah, to be incredibly productive and to, you know, put something out there and have product. And because my ego, at least, is, is so defined by my productivity as an artist. Mm. And if I'm working or not you know so yeah I just let up off of the release thought and I just focused on the writing so were you able to write effectively during quarantine well so when I say effectively I mean not really I had this I've had the same experience as you in some ways because I've been going through grief in my own life Grief is much more common than we all talk about. Oh my god, you don't even have to, <laughs> someone doesn't have to die for that to be No, 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 no. Grief, yeah. Yeah, but it's just this invisible thing and people don't talk about grief as no. much as I think we all should. So I've been going through my own grief and that was really stopping me from writing as freely as I've wanted to. In- now was that about sort of like family things and personal things, not yeah. a death? 
Yeah, that was about a relationship that had ended for me that was very tumultuous. Every time I would revisit this relationship, it was on and off again for years. I just would just roller coaster and mm. de- it would really just derail my my train and it would take me time to get back to where I was. And you know that feeling, you know, just a relationship that <laughs> shouldn't be in your life anymore, but you yeah. can't help but can't let it can, go. Can't let it go. So I was feeling very stuck in my music. So what I did to get around that was I decided to go back through my songs mm-hmm. and collect all these half written ideas that mm-hmm. I had. Yeah. Because I'm sure you're the same. I've got hundreds, hundreds hundreds of half-written ideas, maybe just a a single line, just a chorus or a verse or a title or a melody. Mm -hmm. And then I have tons of musical scores because I would love to get into film composing. Hmm. So I just have all these themes for motion pictures. And so I went back through all my material. I pulled out a batch and I just focused on finishing these ideas. And I got it down to f- these five new finished songs. Huh. That's really good. So it was good. It was like the hard work of the idea of the song had already been done yeah. for me by myself in the past. So this was an easy way to stay creative and yeah. get something done. And be productive. And, you know, sorry, verging on the edge of self-help here um (laughs) (laughs) danger everybody we're headed for (laughs) self-help glennon doyle some uh, spiritual teacher who i really love said if you don't create anything during this time Mm. (laughs) who cares yeah you know i found all of the the, this like intense productivity to be demented but i understand why people were doing it it's because it was such a frightening, shocking... I mean, we were kind of, think, for the most part, sort of, like, not numb to it now at this point, but we've adjusted to the point where it's, like, feels normal. This is what it is, yeah. But it was so shocking at first and so bizarre. I think everyone was just coping, and a great way to cope is to stay busy. Exactly, yeah, to stay creative. I mean, and I definitely have. I mean, I've taken a ton of acting classes, and I've just been reading nonstop, and just watching documentaries every day, you know, just filling your mind and learning, and staying creative. I've been writing, I've been working on the book I'm writing about my grandparents' World War II love letters, and meeting with my filmmaker partner, twice a week to turn that into a film Mm. so at the same time as i'm saying yeah oh i've been you know not releasing music you've been doing other things i have relied on my creativity to get me through Mm -hmm. and i think everybody is i teach music lessons Mm -hmm. just as a private little thing in my life and i have more students than i can handle Mm. and i really saw wow people want their creativity Mm -hmm. they need their creativity it's the only thing that gets you through Mm. a crisis yeah i also think we had become so detached from very simple pleasures and joys and traditions in our lives like it all got taken away didn't it used to there was a piano in people's houses always and that was the entertainment on the weekend and that's what you would do after dinner or you'd sit around and sing together or read poetry 
you know, just read, sit in the same room and read. And it's like, I feel like lots of activities like that were happening again. God, Ryan and I would go out every weekend, Friday, Saturday, sometimes Thursday, Friday, Saturday, sometimes Friday, Saturday, Saturday. We'd go out, spend loads of money on booze and food every night, barely eat at home on weekend. In the weeks, we would eat out all the time. And when all of that was taken away, it was really shocking to then, within a short period of time, think about how much we were doing all of that mm-hmm. and how things like going to a restaurant didn't really feel that special anymore. I um, went out to eat the other night. Mm. Or I really haven't gone out to eat at all this year. It felt so special yeah it was such a treat it was so exciting it was just thrilling yeah which is how it used to be it's how it should always be like growing up i feel like even growing up if we were to go magical to like tgi fridays good (laughs) god it was a thrill of a lifetime no i've only been to tgi fridays when i'm on tour god it's so fun you went there as a norm and just when you were a kid, it was just like, if, if my mom said to me, like, where do you want, if you can go anywhere, I'd be like, yes, TGI take Fridays. me to TGI Fridays. I want to see. For me, it was Chili's. Oh, We yeah. had a Chili's in my town. Chili's is, is I, get, I get that. I, that's something I've come to later in life because of Ryan. Yeah, TGI Fridays, when you're on tour mm. and you've been in the middle of nowhere and you see a TGI Fridays on the horizon, yeah. you just get down and kiss the ground. TGI Fridays got on tour. What we would we would have a lot of um, Wendy's, a oh, lot God. of McDonald's breakfasts. Isn't touring food hilarious? It's like a, a truck stop yeah. is the most exciting thing in the world when you're on tour. Did you tour as a child? No, I didn't. My mom kept me really removed from the world of show business. Yeah, I had a really serene. <laughs> creative childhood i was basically naked in the woods Mm. until it became awkward and my relatives asked her to put clothes on me yeah but then i started touring in my early 20s did you tour yeah my whole childhood really yeah you toured with your dad yeah i was raised on tour wow yeah i toured a little bit with them with um the eagles when i was 12 and they got back together but uh, we were always on a private plane, mm-hmm. so it didn't feel like tour because it was always just it wasn't like cross country in a tour yeah. bus. We would do buses, and I loved absolutely loved. That touring. must have been incredible. Yeah, it was. It was crazy thinking about it now. So did that make you fall in love with that lifestyle? And- absolutely. Like for me, the smell of hotel, you know, the smell of hotel linens. Yeah, gives me the same feeling as home. And I love being on tour buses. I love waking up really early in the morning and you just watch the sunrise over oh, whatever yeah. horizon you were driving through that morning. But the truck stop thing. The truck stop. And you know what? The best even thing. now, the yeah. smell inside of a gas station or truck stop for me is... You love it. It's like a dizzying excitement. And it's not my excitement. It's from the past. It's from being a kid and yeah. getting into the truck stop i love it why do you love the truck stop because i would have my per diem yeah right which is your money that you get every day to eat how much did you to get? eat with oh i mean every tour has been different but usually around 50 bucks a day so you just you're sitting on this cash and you just can't wait to spend it because you <laughs> it's like when you're a kid did you go to boarding school no okay so at boarding school you'd get 
pocket money. You went to boarding school? Yeah, that you would get to spend at the tuck shop, which is a sweet shop that was at school. Oh my God, thrill of a lifetime. (gasps) When you'd get your three pounds and you could buy... For the week? Yeah. Or a day? Three pounds for the week. Uh Uh-huh. Good God. It was like winning the lottery every week. How old were you when you were in boarding school? I started when I was about eight. Until when? Really young. Eight till 15. Wow. Yeah. So what was that yearly schedule like? Was it... I mean, mad. It was... First I started as a part-time boarder, so I would do half the week, and then that quickly changed into full-time because I loved boarding. Oh, you did? Yeah, I loved it. And so Monday to Friday I would be at boarding school, and then... On the weekends, I would usually go to a friend's house or stay at school. Really didn't want to be home, did you? I really didn't. <laughs> like Harry Potter. Literally, my home was 15 minutes away from school. Oh, I was going to say, was it in another... No, 15 minutes away from school. <laughs> I was just like, fuck that, I'm not going back there. Which is so weird because, like, I love my home. I think I just... When I was younger, my sister was seven years older than me. Mm-hmm. And... She still is. <laughs> but she was a teenager and I was eight. So I was traumatized by her because she was a teenager. She was horrid. She traumatized you. I mean, she was a typical teenager. So you wanted What's to, to stay at boarding school. I'm like, school. yeah, I don't want to be around this, this bitch. And my mom yelling at each other and in trouble. And So when you were older and went on tour, that also, was the was- same thing. For me as a child, for the most part, I loved where I lived, which was very rural. Which was in the gorgeous countryside of England. But as I was becoming a preteen, boring. Where are the boys? There's nothing to do. There's no boys. There's no friends. Yeah. I can't even cycle to a shop to spend my pocket money. So where did you tour? All over Europe? All over... UK or America too? Mm -hmm. We did the world Mm -hmm. through my whole childhood. I've been everywhere imaginable, but in the bits that I can remember the best, so like eight onwards, it was America. Every summer, every Easter, basically, every holiday, we'd be on tour, and then sometimes I would come out of school to go on tour. Like, oh, do you want to go to school or do you want to go on tour? <laughs> oh, I think I'll go on tour, thanks. And did you, by law, have to have a tutor on the tour or anything like that? No idea I didn't, so... Oh, Lord. So the Dolan's children, they had a very nice situation whereby they had, like, a nanny, someone was looking after them. And then there's just the screaming Jones kids in the back. It's just me. I, I mean, yeah, my... My sister just would join us sometimes. But yeah, I was just feral. Sort of like, good luck you if you're are. on the bus. So yeah, you're I feral and I'm OCD. Yeah. But yeah, no, I loved being on tour. I absolutely loved it. I remember the first year I discovered vending machines. Mm-hmm. So growing up in the countryside 
Hadn't seen one of those before. Mm-hmm. Discovered those are magical. Mountain Dew and Famous Amos Mini Cookies. Yeah. I became, that's the only time I've ever been fat in my life. I was nine, went away, and my mum didn't recognize me when she came to pick me up from the airport. I was so fat. From Famous Amos I smashed and Mountain those Dew. every night. Probably wow. had them every single night. Also, all you can eat food all the time at every wow. location. So, all right, so we we have so much in common, it just blows me away. So cut to, we both had touring experiences as children, which obviously shaped us and moved us in the direction of entering the music business ourselves as professionals. We should do a tour chat one day. That's not what today's about, but we should do that. There's so many. I've got so, so many, many mad goodies. stories. Oh, God, me too. Are you kidding? From tour. What, from tour with dad or tour? No, tour with me. Okay. My tours. Just touring in general. <laughs> That's... Okay, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll continue to another, share that. Yeah, yeah, for another hour. Because that's, yeah. Today we're meant to be focusing on our experiences being signed. Well, yeah, I mean, let's, let's talk about some of our early record deals. We've both been signed to major labels. Mm-hmm. And that is a very unique experience yep. that not many people... Get to have. Get to have. That's really what... I how I met you, how I became aware of you was because you were posting on social media these little Instagram stories mm-hmm. where you were just talking to camera and you were sharing about your experience in particular sharing about your experience of being signed to a major label and just everything that went on for you, which mm-hmm. was a book in itself and for me as well. I have, I, I have that same experience. And you were saying that you wished that more people, more artists Mm. would come together and have those truthful conversations Mm. about the mental journey that that is to Mm -hmm. be signed to a major record label and to, you know, be on the journey as a musician, wherever it takes you. And I was really excited when you were talking like that because those early experiences I had beginning as a musician – are something that I don't ever speak about mm. publicly. And I have a hard time talking about it. I haven't really worked it out for myself in a lot mm. of ways. And so when you were saying that you wished that people would have out loud conversations about it, that really excited me. And I thought, gosh, I respect this girl so much because I haven't really been brave enough to have yeah. that conversation. And you pushed me out of my comfort zone. And so I'm really happy that we're here talking about it that was about a year ago that i became aware of your videos and we hadn't met yet and i just had so much respect for you for having the courage to voice the things that Mm. you were sharing about your experience so i'm really excited that we get the opportunity to get into it tonight yeah totally so what do you have to say about that (laughs) why did you start saying on your social media that you wished people would have these out loud conversations because I think that so many people go through the the major label system and get fucked up by it. We go in really green. And, and know, just so everyone knows, you were signed to Atlantic. Yeah. And I was signed to Island Def Jam. Yeah. I was signed also through a production deal. So I signed I was to two well. producers first. Me too. And then they basically sold me on to Atlantic. Me too, exact same thing. And my problem for the most part, wasn't with Atlantic. 
It was with the people I signed the production deal to, which made everything horrendous. At the beginning, my time at Atlantic was great. I loved my A&R guy. Everything was going swimmingly, and he was a really good balance to the rest of the team, in my opinion. But then he left and went on to another company, and I got placed with this other A&R guy, and nobody asked me, by the way, who do you want to go with? And I didn't find out till later that there was this woman at the company who had expressed interest in being my A&R. And they didn't even ask. It's like, this is my life. I think I should have a say in... Well, it's your life and that's most important, but also it's your product. Yeah. And (laughs) so they just put me with this new guy, didn't even ask me what I thought about it. And the guy was a complete tool and continues to this day to be a complete tool. He's just such a shitty A&R guy. Have you seen that Twitter account, shitty A&R guy? No. It's really funny. (laughs) It just... I mean, and I don't like... I don't feel any type of way about talking about this. I'm so far removed from that whole world now and I've got no dreams of being signed again and no dreams of being a part of that world at all. Yeah, it's just this different world and I think that I can openly talk about it because I've got no interest in being in it or associated with it or whatever. So this A&R guy was just a disaster for me personally. What did he have to say about your sound and your direction and his Uh, plan? Where did he see your music going? I think basically his vision was to make me like a sort of like bargain basement Charlie XCX and that wasn't my vibe and also I think that the people I was signed to so this is why I don't believe in production deals I'll tell you right now and I actually do I would love to write a book about this or do some kind of educational thing about this for musicians coming into the industry because for most part we come in and we've got no fucking clue powerless not only are you powerless well, first of all, you're not powerless. You think you're powerless. You're not. That's what I mean. Yeah. You feel powerless, and so you're willing to sign your soul. Oh, you do anything. You're, you <laughs> you don't know it, what you're you signing. You want it so badly, yeah. you will basically do anything for it. Yeah. And here's why I think that production deals are a complete scam. You sign yourself to a producer or a writer, and they sign you off to a label, You think they're going to fight for you at the label because they also want work at the label. So say your A&R guy or your label is causing you problems or isn't letting you put music out or isn't agreeing to the songs that you want. There is no way that the producer or the writer that you are signed to is going to go into that label and give them hell on your behalf because that will affect them and their careers. And this is why, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we do not sign production deals. And that's all I have to say about that. I had the same similar experience where my lawyer overheard people involved in this production deal discussing me and harassing me where they should not have been. Mm. They were basically bullying me in the room, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what my rights were, and I didn't, yeah. I didn't know how to respond to it. And and my lawyer heard that and was just ready to come, yeah. literally beat somebody up. 
with these production deals, there's too much room for shady shit, in my opinion, personally. When you are signed to a major label, their standards are rigorous. Atlantic Records, for instance, you step a foot out of line, you are so fucked. Their investors, their insurance policies, all of this stuff, they don't mess around with any of that. Whereas you have these lone wolves, writers and producers and whoever else, signing people, picking acts up, they can get their hands as dirty as they like because they are accountable to nobody. And that's why I say I don't have a problem talking about my experience at Atlantic because actually my experience at Atlantic was perfectly pleasant apart from that last A&R guy Mm -hmm. who was an absurd caricature of a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my experience at Island Def Jam was wonderful. Yeah. I love the people there to this day and I will always have love for them for everything they did for me. It was a really wonderful experience. I remember I had my production deal Mm -hmm. I've been working with this company. I've been busy for a couple years building my Mm -hmm. my catalog of songs and and, um, just like a workhorse, basically, just with every writer in town, which was wonderful. And then it was time to go showcase for labels. Mm -hmm. And I went to New York for three days, and I sang for nine labels in three days. Mm -hmm. And I took a guitarist with me. We go through this grueling schedule of these nine labels mm-hmm. in three days, and, and we get to Island Def Jam, and L.A. Reed's in the room, and the, we're playing, and my guitarist is just butchering. Oh, no. Butchering the songs. Having a bad day. Oh, God, he was so nervous. Oh, sad. I go, okay, how do I save this? How do I save this? How do I save this? Because I'm not one to go down with the ship. Yeah. Whether it's on stage in acting or on stage in music, you know. And that comes from experience. Mm. Just over many, many, many yeah. performances. Fucking up enough times to know yeah. how to you figure out yourself. how to save yeah. things in an instant. <laughs> yeah. So I reached over and I put my hand on his guitar and I stopped the music. Oh, God. And I didn't speak. Mm-hmm. I got up. There was a piano. I pulled up chairs. Yeah. I took L.A. Reed. I put him in a chair. <gasps> I took the other guys that were in the room, put them in chairs, and I sat down and I played a song that I wrote at the piano. Two shooting stars, the night was ours, the sky on fire. was alive for just a moment in time and we we made our vows although the moon was turning red and as the sun came up it brought the devil into our bed you lifted me up and gave me your love then you beat me back down to try to save me well done, that's so good. And they signed me right there. Great. And I had a couple other, you know, offers from other labels, but I really wanted to go with this team at Island Def Jam, and I loved my A&R people. Yeah. You know, I was with Rob Stevenson, who had signed The Killers and mm. and The Bravery and just so many great artists that I really loved. And so from that moment at the piano, which is what got me signed, Yeah. 
I went on to make a record that had nothing to do with who I was. It sounded like a Katy Perry, Britney, Rihanna record. I complete, can relate complete to that. Complete with rappers. Yeah, I can relate to that. And that to me is the tragedy of the situation yeah. because, and this is why it's been painful for me to talk about because, and until I heard you mm. having the courage to say it out loud, it's been painful for me because I have blamed myself completely. It was just a baby at that time. I was a baby. It was my first record deal. I went on to have other record deals. I've gone on to make lots of music. You know, mm. I have new music on the yeah. horizon. It's not like... <laughs> it's not a defining moment. It's not it's a defining a moment. moment. But in my journey, it is something that it's taken me a long time to kind of see the other sides of what went into that situation to get mm. me to where it got. And so, you're still processing it, aren't you, really? It's still hard for you to... It is hard because I felt that I let everybody down by allowing them to take me in a direction that was not authentic to who I was. And that was simply because I did not really know who I was yet. Of course you didn't. And... There's no wasted time because now I do know the music that I mm -hmm. need to be making. I yeah. do know what what my voice is and what I want to put into it and yeah, totally. what it needs to sound like. And that was a very valuable experience that I had at the label because it was my first situation with a lot of money being thrown at me. Yeah. A lot of money being spent on, on what I was doing. And... I was overwhelmed. Yeah. Because when that money's coming at you, and then the person who's giving you the money says, I want you to do this yeah, song. Yeah, exactly. My little voice, am I going to be brave enough to go, um, no, I'm sorry, I don't like that song. Yeah. Well, I remember the day that they decided what my first single was going to be. Yeah. I wept. I was so heartbroken that this song was going to be my defining song. I wept. Our experiences are unbelievably similar. Yeah. It's just, I had the exact same experience I made. It's so weird. They sign you. We love you. You're amazing. You're so different. You're so unique. So, here, let's completely change you. To be something completely generic and safe. I was literally... Rihanna and I were demoing the same songs. Which is so bizarre. <laughs> it's just not who you are at all. But I allowed it. Yeah, but you do... Okay, here's the thing. It's like an abusive relationship. You are coerced into these situations. I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. For me, that was the situation. It was whittling away every day until I was the malleable creature that they needed me to be to do the thing that they needed me to do so that essentially they could get their money. And the day that they pulled me in for a meeting to tell me what, this is no longer being considered an indie project, they want to go more commercial, and this is the song that we want to do. And what was your response? I drove home that night. I stopped at the grocery store and I vomited at the grocery store. Yeah. And I cried and I basically was ill for two weeks. 
beside myself with... Yeah, I think I was ill a lot during that time, and I just didn't realize it yeah. because, like you and I were saying earlier before we started recording, you get to the point where you're so numb to your own feelings that you think you're fine. Absolutely. And someone else looks at you and goes, uh, <laughs> you're not fine. No, you're not fine. And that's what I did, is I convinced myself that I was okay. And this is what you want. And this is what you I want. You convince yourself I convinced you're okay. myself that this is what I wanted, and it was okay, and I was having fun. But I couldn't make it work because I couldn't sell that product. Mm. So ultimately, they didn't know what to do with me, and yeah. I didn't know what to do with me. And I remember, this is a really painful memory I have. My, my A&R guy took me to lunch, and he said, what do you want to do? And by that point, I had been so backed into a corner, and my original voice, which was where my magic has always yeah. been at that piano, yeah, that voice had shrunk down yeah. to a whisper. Yeah. And I said to him, you know, I don't know what I want to do. I want to do whatever you want me to do. Yeah. The project was finished soon after that. Yeah. And that's it. It's just, you know, looking back, it's I've gone on to do many, many things with my music. But that was a very, very valuable experience. And it taught me to never allow that to happen ever again. Yeah. Because it's not helping the people I'm working with. Yeah. And it's not, more importantly than that, it's not helping me. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to happen to you again because... It won't you, happen. And it, 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 it hasn't happened again. Yeah. But... It's a valuable lesson that I carry with me in everything I do in life. And I think everybody listening has been in this situation in some way or another, whatever it is you do, where you sacrificed your true voice for the larger powers around you because mm. you weren't quite ready to use your own strength yet. Yeah. And you just watched it crumble, you know? And yeah, so, I think it's about following your instincts. And I think is. that... I didn't have any instincts left by the end of it, quite That's frankly. That's exactly right. You and don't I, know you don't know which way is up. No, and I remember God, I remember literally looking in the mirror and just repeatedly saying to myself multiple times a day, every day, this is what you want. This is what you want. Get it together. This is what you want. This is what you came here for. You trust these people around you because well, they're experienced. They know, they know this doing. is. They've been doing this they're for years. I'm only 22. I don't. What do I know? I just know about writing my silly little songs. I don't know anything else. And you trust them, and you stop trusting yourself, and you stop trusting your instincts. And that was one of the single most. Unfortunately for me, the thing that I had wanted my whole life, which was to be signed and be a professional singer and songwriter ended up being the thing that damaged me more than anything else in my life. I think once I was out of that record deal, or once I was trying to claw my way out of it, I remember the week that I decided that I was going to go and speak to them and say, I, I don't want to do this anymore, please let me go, it was in June, like the week of my birthday in 2017. And from that point on, clawing my way out of that, it took me two years to get out of it. How are you happy? I'm 
I've ever felt in my life because I couldn't make music I couldn't release music I was being held against my will in a situation I didn't think I would ever be able to write or sing again because the whole thing was so traumatizing and this was the thing I wanted more than anything and like you said I let it happen to myself I kept going against my instincts again and again and again and again that's the most dangerous thing we can do in life. Oh my god, completely. In a relationship. Yeah. Between ourself mm. and ourself. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm an actor now as well, and I always have been, but I'm a, a working actress now, and and it's the same thing. You gotta use yourself. You gotta trust your voice. Mm. You've got to trust your voice. But all too often, we would rather stay invisible mm. and play an idea. Mm. A personality that we think will be more accepted, mm. easier to handle, yeah, easier to swallow, yeah, more likable, be likable, you know. So yeah. we create this facade, mm. which is what I did in that record deal. Did you have to have media training? Yes, yeah, me too. You had media training? Yeah, I yeah. was so angry when they asked me to do that. I found it so offensive, and then I loved it actually. In the end, <laughs> I still have my packet. Me too. I reference it. Who did you see? I, I, a little bald guy, I think. Oh, uh, okay. I saw Tracy Pepper and she was amazing. Okay, yeah, I saw I still, like, guy. we still recommend her to people. Oh, she's really? So great. Yeah, I, I remember, I think it was like $5,000. It's so expensive. <laughs> it was so expensive and they bring in this media expert who teaches you how to respond in an interview. Yeah. And, and how to sell. How to sell, how to sell yourself, how to always, you know, never get stuck in a question that you don't want to be stuck in. Mm-hmm. Always be able to wiggle your way out of yeah. any slipper, you know, whatever. Yeah, that was really fun. I ended up, I loved it. Yeah, I was told that I was like a machine gun to the face. And well, I needed my thing. edges rounded off. Well, you know what, Annabelle? I think you're a machine gun to the face in a good way. <laughs> a machine gun of love to the face. That's right. So, you know, I talked about what my experience was with going to New York and singing for the nine labels in three days and how it all came together. How was it for you? What was the process of signing with that production deal and then getting the actual record deal? Okay, so I was in London and I had been in bands my whole life and I was in a band at that time called Bluebell and I'd put a couple of songs out and they had gone for what at the time on the internet was like considered viral basically on MySpace well no (laughs) it wasn't MySpace it was YouTube Twitter hype machine all of that shit it was like after MySpace I made my own little videos and everything and it was all like a darling of the blogs, you know, it was like very online and whatever, whatever. So anyway, long story short is my music found its way to this songwriter and he was like, if you're ever in LA, let's have a meeting. And I was like, okay, sounds good. 
my dad had recently died and I was feeling very desperate. I was skin. I was... That means very poor for anyone who's... Skin. Skint. Skint. I had no money because my dad had been helping me pay for my flat at the time when he died. And then obviously died and wasn't, for whatever reason, I wasn't able to be helped for the rest of the year. So I was caught short. So I was working anyway. And then so I was just working, working, working like nonstop because I couldn't afford the flat on my own and I didn't want to lose the flat, you know, or whatever, just normal fucking shit that people do with. So I was feeling desperate. I was exhausted. I was hating life. I was grieving. I was very young. And... I quit all my jobs and I just said I'm going to LA I'm just going to go and meet all these people I've been talking to and this guy was one of them so I went and met with him and went really well and they offered me a deal him and his partner offered me a deal all seemed great at the time I had an amazing connection with them it just seemed like brilliant then I came out to LA to record my record and it was, like you said, made this record of songs that were just so not what I wanted with to be writer. doing. They were my original songs, but we reproduced all of them. Mm. We made this music, and then I left LA for 10 days, and while I was away, I just messaged them and said, like, this isn't me, I can't do this music. And they were like, okay. So I came back, we wrote some different songs, and we ended up moving forward with those songs. And it was all good during that time. I felt heard. They were like, okay, we support you. We're moving on in this different direction. Then, obviously, in a production deal, the aim is that they want to sign you on to a bigger label. They basically sell you on yeah. to another company and they get money for it. So they started chopping me around to the other labels. And I, I had previously done all of the showcases as well and all of that shit and I ended up not taking any of those deals literally I don't think anyone on this earth has been offered more deals than me and refused them I don't know what was wrong with me as a young person I think I just get scared yeah yeah and just run away and Mm. just be like I can't do this this is too scary so at this point in my life I feel like I knew that and I was like I can't keep doing this because this isn't going to last forever Mm -hmm. deals aren't going to keep coming forever right so I was just like, sure, yeah, deal, sounds good, let's do them now. Mm-hmm. I don't, my dad's not here to help me anymore. And they signed me to Atlantic, and it was great. We started working with Jimmy Tamborello, who was in the postal service. I was in heaven, I loved it, loved it, loved it. We finished this EP, it was to die for, it was stunning. I was so proud of it, so proud of it, it was so beautiful. Blood on blood, back to back, magic slowly real accumulated. Fear will always find a way to prey upon the open and the pure. Calls me up at 4 a.m., tells me she's been walking a lot lately. Baby, you gotta let go of the drugs that you're taking, I'm killing you. process of making that things just started to change little comments about how I looked my clothes were always wrong 
My attitude was always wrong. My lyrics weren't relatable enough. Just slowly taking the edges off. And by the time the thing was done, I started writing, just for fun on the side, these little more quirky, weird songs. Never took them seriously. And of course, what happens? They end up being the ones that they want to use. Mm -hmm. And my beautiful, stunning... Wow. Gorgeous pieces of art shelved. Don't matter anymore. Hmm. We'll get to those later. So I've got. Well, it taught me a valuable lesson. Never record a song that you don't like. <laughs> yeah, because exactly. Once you record it, is, it yeah. you lose the control. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. out there. Exactly. Never exactly. record a song that you do not like. But it was just amazing over that summer. And I'd been going back and forth from London to LA for like a year or more at that point. And spending day after day in the studio and loving it like you were doing, just writing continuously. I'll never forget sitting in the office and just crying, just every day crying because I could feel myself being chipped away at and I was torn because I knew I needed this job and I wanted it and I wanted to trust this situation and I wanted the deal and I wanted the next deal and I wanted the tour and I wanted to be a pop star. on this but I'm interested to know I definitely had experiences along the lines of the Me Too movement oh my god yes in this scenario absolutely like hands right hands down just again hands down hands on hands, hands on, around hands around hands all over yeah very disrespected by the men in charge in many ways in many ways in sexual ways in ways where they're making you know they would make comments about well what do you need the money for your dad's you've got money i was accused of having a drug problem uh-huh by the way have never done class a drugs mm-hmm. i was told by one of the men overseeing my project everyone at the label thinks that you only got signed because we're fucking oh, wow. charming. Oh, that's good thank you good to know that i'm uh, seen as a talented you know Commodity here. Right, yeah. A&R's assistant attacking me in a bathroom at a show, trying to stick his tongue down my throat. Just so many things where, you know, this has been going on in the business for women and men. For, for me, it was mostly verbal. Forever. It was a lot of verbal, A lot of verbal it? for me. It was a lot of gaslighting, verbal manipulation, financial manipulation. A lot of financial manipulation. A lot of financial manipulation of money being taken away, held. Yes, held. Um, That was it. I was asking for money that was meant for me. And they said, well, a certain person said, why do you need a rush on that money? It's not like you need money. Yeah, a lot of assumptions. 
A lot of assumptions. Assumptions make an ass of you and I. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Wait, is that the same? It's, not, it's, it's something close enough. Close enough. Close enough. Oh, I think everyone thinks I have a trust fund. Everybody thinks I do. It's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. It's so weird. It used to really hurt my feelings, but it's just hilarious. It's never hurt my feelings. I've just wish it was true. Because I I felt so misunderstood, and I felt it made me feel so alone. It made me feel like wow, nobody embarrassing. Nobody knows me. There's an expectation. You feel like there's an expectation of you to have a certain type of life and the truth is is i've always worked me too and listen not worked doing anything glamorous may i add absolutely rotten my dad always said if you want this career you're gonna go get it i'm not gonna pick up the phone for you yeah i'm not going to you know maneuver anything you're gonna do it yourself and Uh, and he bloody meant it and i (laughs) And I appreciate it so much, but you're right, there is this kind of embarrassing thing where, you know, people are expecting you to uh, I worked be a certain way. in but- chip shops, I've worked in shoe shops, clothes shops, nannying, cleaning. I drove Lyft. You've driven Lyft. Just normal fucking jobs. So then when your, friend, so when your friends are like, oh, you don't need the money or your trust fund or whatever, you're like, no, I work in a chip van. I worked in a cookie shop. <laughs> did you get fat? Uh, oh, I was fat when I worked at the chip van. I yeah, I did. I, every get, day. I got fat. Yeah, I was I was a cookie decorator. So one de- decorate one, eat one, decorate one, yeah. eat one. So for me, it was just Down chip butties every day. <laughs> just nonstop. I worked in Burke Williams, the day spa, guest services, booking people's appointments. Yep. That you couldn't afford to get yourself. I couldn't afford to get them. <laughs> Okay, what's your most ridiculous side job? Where you've had a moment where you've thought, fucking kill me. Can you go first? Yeah. I was doing child's party entertainment, and I... <laughs> what is that? So you, you like, go to a kid's a party, and you go... And so you, like, you go and you're princess and, or whoever it is. So I would go to these parties and it would be like Beauty and the Beast, right? Would come to the party. Mm. Yeah, well, I was the beast. Why weren't you beauty? I know. <laughs> Thank you. I feel the same way. So it was that, a lot of that. No, honestly, why weren't you beauty? I don't know, because I look like a man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Don't they, rub it in. But they, anyway. They, they wanted to pop the head on your head so that no one could see your face. No, you can see my face. It's just like you're in the beast's mouth. It's quite frightening, really, I think, for children. So I was doing the tiniest day... beast I can imagine. I know, pathetic. You're and five I weighed feet. one pound at that time as well. So it was like the costume was sagging off me. Are there pictures of this? There actually are, yeah. Yes. Um, she fell off. She has emerged. The reason this was humiliating was because there was one day I was outside the train station at Richmond and I was dressed as Tigger. And I was handing out leaflets for the company. And this girl that I was signed to the same management company as her. (laughs) (laughs) Bullying. That you're laughing is bullying. I'm sorry. No, it's funny. Um, Walked up to the thing and she was like, Annabelle. And I'm like, 
Yes. Yes. What yeah. are you doing? I'm. What does it look like? I'm tiggering around. I don't. Bitch, keep walking. Get, give me a break. Just pretend you didn't see me. Just do me a solid, pretend you haven't seen me, and keep it moving. I mean, it's one thing to say hi, but it's another thing to say, what are you doing? Does she really need the answer to that? And she had her what guitar, she, what, and she was, like, clearly going off to a session or something. What did she think you were doing, honestly? I don't know what. Jesus. Wow. Um, yeah, you know, I just... I don't know how he got onto the subject. Well, I'm anyway. my brain, yeah. The point... Oh, okay, so what was your most... Oh, where you've had a moment where you've been like, good God, kill me. You know, I just... I used to be notorious for quitting my day jobs, like, oh, on my lunch hour. 100%. Because I would just... I had, had enough. I had no respect for them. I didn't want to be me there. Neither. I hated it. When I was younger, I was awful. <laughs> I was awful. So I was working at Burke Williams, and... It, CV was a disaster. What's CV? My CV, my resume... I was like, oh, you did one week at uh Oh, God, yeah, you, no, you didn't have any references. No references. So why have you worked at so many pubs? Right, well, um... <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you'd just be listing your mom as your reference and make her act like she was your old boss. Yeah, and she would for me, yeah. Yeah, I think my mom did that a couple times. Okay, so... <laughs> So I, you're notorious I, for quitting your job? Yeah, I'm notorious for doing that. I quit Burke Williams on my lunch break and my manager had asked me to bring him back a diet coke oh and legendary i never I, you just never came i back. never did and then he ran into a mutual friend of ours years later and the mutual friend said to me he says steve says he's still waiting for his diet coke <gasps> <laughs> honestly it's a bit rock i think it's a bit rock and roll i quite like it i'm glad he had a sense of humor about it it's very funny Side jobs of an artist. That's a whole another hilarious coffee table it's book. It's like, you know, in Mary Poppins, there's that man where he's a one-man band. Yeah. But he also draws on chalk pavement. Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. Hello. It. Well, his name's Bert in the movie. Don't ask me how Makes that. me feel like that. Like, I'm... It's a jack of all trades, really. And you're moving, really. and you, there's things crashing and drums banging when you're moving, and cymbals, and you're just trying to, like... But you're just moving forward. Yeah, and yeah. it's like crash, bang, wallop, and you're singing and trying to draw a chalk picture on the pavement, and then you're daydreaming about being in Mary Poppins' land. And he was a chimney sweep. And he's a chimney sweep. <laughs> on the side. And apparently magical... And magical. Magician. And he can sing. And he can sing and fly. Yeah. Yeah, that's so overwhelming. That's yeah, but you did. But he just, you know, he kept moving forward, just one foot in front of the other. <laughs> crash, bang, boom. His accent. I literally didn't even realize it until about a year ago when I watched Mary Poppins again. How awful. Okay, thank you because my fiance says the same thing. British people, English people, cannot stand Dick Van Dyke's. English accent in Mary Poppins. But, it, uh, but it, Americans was, never knew. We no, thought you it was guys lovely. No, you guys don't no, we know. thought it was you lovely. You think we're all Australian or something. Yeah. But no, my whole life I never thought it was bad. It was one of my favourite films growing up. I watched it every week. My whole childhood is like one of my favourites. Took me until very recently to realise it was really appalling accent. Oh, what, ladies and gents. 
economical poem, suitable for the occasion, extemporised and thought up before your very eyes. All right, here we go. Where is he from, Australia? He's American. Oh, okay. He lives in Malibu. He's still alive. Yes, he's still alive. I love Dick Van Dyke. He's in a band. Still singing. A one-man band? Nope, he's got other Fresh band wallop, it's called. He probably does try to, you know, monopolize the instruments. Uh, uh, but he is in a band, and I adore Dick Van Dyke. And he's in the new Mary Poppins. He was good, actually, I felt. He was so cute. He did his little mm. dance on the table. He was thrilled. Talk about joy. Guy carrying joy around. We were talking about joy. Winds in the east. Miss coming in. Like something is brewing. About to begin. Crash, bang, wallop. Keep moving forward. <laughs> Me and Dick Van Dyke. Okay, Listen. so wait, to summarize this, okay. So, here's how I feel. I Maybe feel we're realizing we need therapy for this instead of a one hour session. I've had session. so many years of therapy to deal with this. All right, so. Listen, we've been talking a lot about these record deals we've had in the past. Um, the very- production deal, I feel like it's too... This is the thing. It's like the production deal and then the record deal are two completely different things. I can't believe how many physical Me Too moments you had. I had a lot of physical Me Too moments. I had one physical Me Too moment and then many verbal, emotional and many. financial. Yeah. For the most part, that's what it was for me. But other people I was signed with had worse situations than mm-hmm. I did. That is something that is very dark about the whole industry. And I don't know that it's really changing. I, don't, I think that, wouldn't you say that, that the music industry has for the most part been pretty much untouched by untouched. the Me Too movement. Untouched and far worse than the acting Oh business. my god. I mean, just even, okay. <sighs> we all worse. know that, that, like, R. Kelly. Look at what happened to Mariah Carey with her first husband. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And those are the, just the big ones. Those are the big ones. And, like, I don't know if, you're, if you've seen the there was like a whole LA thing with LA bands and grunge bands and they were all getting me too very recently during COVID. Did you see any of that? Mm-hmm. But it never spreads past a small level because they all protect each other. And it's so dark. It's fucking dark when you really think about it. Yeah, I mean, the thing to remember is that it exists in every walk of life on the planet. I mean... <laughs> You know, it exists with the people that work at the gas station. It exists at the dentist office. It exists yes, in schools. It, I mean, it, it especially exists at the dentist office, but it, the gas station less so, I think. But <laughs> but in the music industry, it really it's does. so conducive to but it. But having you're been in both... late night, you're in the dark, you're in the studio, there's drugs, there's alcohol. Oh, from we're producers, forget about it. That's a whole other thing. We're at the Chateau Marmont. Oh, you're going to be a big star at the Chateau Mama. It's like, okay, bitch. Having, now that I'm in both the acting and the music industry, I do know that the music industry is way more intense with the Me Too incidents that are not being spoken about. 
I haven't come forward about anything. I have plenty to share. It's so many small, unrelated yeah. incidents that it's hard to know where to start. And also, I think the thing that's really fucking sick about it as well is, like, I think a lot of the Me Too movement has been fucking bollocks, a load of shit, and has actually detracted from, like, people's actual real fucking problems of being sexually assaulted or whatever it is. It's been a witch hunt. It's been a witch hunt. It's turned into a witch hunt. sure. And, and it's, it's out of control. God, it's just so... It's ridiculous. Some of it is truly, truly fucking ridiculous. We're having airtime talking about X, Y, and Z's ass getting grazed by whatever. And then you've got literally people still enslaved by R. Kelly in the house. It's like, can we concentrate on the actual issues here? Mm-hmm. Not someone's fucking vanity me too moment. It's just... That shit drives me insane. And it's just not productive for anyone. And I think that it hasn't progressed because also people don't want to be defined by it. The girls I know that have had situations, they won't come out because they don't want to be held back in their careers. And they will be. Because these are people who are on the Grammy board. These are people who are at the label they're the big producer they're the biggest songwriter they're whoever they are you know they're the label exec they're not going to come forward about that because that's it that's the end of their career and if they still want to play the game and be a part of the mainstream thing they've got to shut up and get on with it and i just can't wait for some of these fuckers to get muted (laughs) I can't wait. I don't know if it'll ever happen. Some of them, I just... I know it's coming. Oh, and I can't wait. (laughs) Popcorn's ready to go. (laughs) But what's so insidious about it is that many of these people, it's like their best lies are hidden in plain sight. Mm -hmm. They're the artist advocates. They're talking at the fucking charity thing they're on the podcast they're doing the thing advocating for this that and the other and it's like you are the biggest perp of all when it comes to this stuff and it's always those people it's always those people yeah it's pretty amazing to watch it all happen my first session when I was signed my production deal and it wasn't with the people I was signed to it was a session in England was with this guy and it was so when I look back on it now I just think why didn't I leave for a start and got there at the session for four we were there until four in the morning we didn't start writing for six hours super creepy the whole time you've got such a sexy voice you should be doing um phone sex lines all of this like all this shit and then pretty tell me, I'm way too old to be a singer. I was 22, by the way, at this time. All of this stuff. Like, that was my, welcome to the industry, Annabelle. You've just been signed. This is your first session. Yeah, I had a very similar situation with a major producer in this business. Very first meeting. So excited. He's going to produce some of my record. Go in there. Lights are down. Candles are lit, lights are way down. Dicks on the table. Basically. 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 (laughs) And you're sitting there going, is this normal? (laughs) Um, uh, Nobody told me that this was going to be part of it. No, and you think... Should I sit here or should I... Leave? Scream? Should I run? (laughs) Should I I just 
I I want this. They're giving me millions yeah. of dollars. Am I supposed to just pretend like this is okay? It goes along with the yeah, rest yeah, of it. Yeah, oh, totally. I want this. This is fine. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. Amazing. This is just how it goes. This is how it this is. This is what you tell yourself. Don't be, don't be difficult. Yeah. Don't be difficult. Don't be a Debbie Downer. And we know in show business, the last thing you want to be is difficult. Yeah. That's what you are, are told. You know, so it takes experience mm. to understand all that. It takes yeah. experience to understand that people are just people, no matter what position they're in. Yeah, and money's just money. Yeah, and none of it is as important as trusting yeah. your voice. Yeah, exactly. Taking care of yourself, and listening, listening to your gut. To your gut. It was my niece's thirteenth birthday this week, and we went around the table at dinner, and everyone gave her a piece of advice, and. My advice to her was, it's really hard to say no to anything. No, I don't want that for dinner. I'd actually like pizza instead. No, you know what? I don't want to meet you there. I'd rather, I don't want to meet you in Oakland. I'd rather meet you in San Francisco if it's all the same. No, I actually don't want to go on a date. Or no, I don't want to kiss you. Or whatever it is. It's really hard. It takes courage. But you got to do it. Yeah. And start doing it now. Yes. Because the sooner you start doing it, the, the less, less shitty time si- you'll waste. Oh, dude, and the and the less shitty and the situation less harm you'll do. Absolutely, in, inside, and it takes you time to undo that harm that you've done. Absolutely, to yourself. Yeah, and, and that, that takes courage. It's just, it's all everything we're speaking about just comes down to courage. Courage, well, and experience, and education through life experience. Yes, it, it's not something. Do I think that what I said went into her head? She's looking bored out of her brains, you know. I hope that... I remember things people said to me, advice people said to me when I was a teenager. Well, you know, it may not click for her for 10 more years. There may come a day out of the blue for her when that will ring in her ear and it will hit home. I wish somebody had said that to me when I was turning 13. Say, no thank God, you. God, too. That doesn't work for me. You don't have to be rude about it. You know, no, thank you. Actually, I would prefer. Yeah. But you don't want to be difficult. You don't want to be difficult because unfortunately, and if you're needing love from a parent, you know, that you're not getting. Mm-hmm. Or attention. Or- yeah. In order to get love that you're wanting, you will sacrifice your true voice. Yeah. To go along with whatever you yeah. think they want you to be. What do you want me to be? What do you want me to I'll say? I'll be whatever you want yeah. me to be. And that is what I said to my A&R guy when yeah. he asked me, what do you think we should do? And yeah. that came from way earlier in my life Yeah. of trying to get love yeah. from a parent Yeah. and going, I'll be whatever you want me to yeah. be. Just love me. Yeah. Just let me know what you want me to be. Yeah. So you're right. It does need to be enforced at a really young age yeah. because... It starts at a young age. It starts at a young age. It starts when you can speak. And look at that. Look at that. We're looking at how it shapes you into being an artist, into being a professional, Mm. and into being an adult. Mm. I think you're right. That's a really important thing. Life skill, I think. Yes. I am so glad that what happened to me happened to me because... I think that had I had everything gone to plan in Verticommerce with my record deal, my production deal, 
I would have been a truly miserable person. Truly miserable. I think I would have been unfulfilled, unhappy. I may have probably been in rehab at this point, honestly. I was so unhappy during that time. And can you imagine if my unhappiness had been rewarded and continued to be rewarded and hadn't exploded in my face? Yeah, exactly right. And for me, can you imagine if that lack of using my own voice had been allowed to continue by that being successful? Because I couldn't sustain that. It was too heavy. It was over. It was it was killing me to be this facade of this personality that wasn't truthful. Yeah. It was poisoning me. Yeah. And that situation had to end. Yeah. It couldn't sustain itself. Yeah. And neither could yours. No, I'm grateful. I I am very grateful too. That it blew up in my face, quite frankly. Well, you know, this is such an interesting topic. I think that I know a lot of people want to hear more about. I think that um, we will speak more about this about what it is, you know, this journey of being an artist and becoming a professional artist. I think we'll continue talking about it in, you know, our future chats, don't you? For sure. And we'll put some resources in the show notes for anybody that may be looking for somebody to talk to about similar experiences. Mm -hmm. I know I have some resources in my back pocket that I can share and put out there and yeah, I think it's a really important conversation. Yeah. So we will continue as we go on to talk about many other exciting things. We haven't even <laughs> spoken about, not that we need to for very know, long, yeah, very long, but Rock the Cradle. Rock the Cradle. We were yeah. both involved with that show, and it's just funny to touch on because we were both involved with it. Just going through our similarities is... Yeah, so wild. It's funny. How have we only just met? I don't know. It's funny. We've been... Sisters from other misters yeah. for a long time. Forever. <laughs> oh. So we'll continue this talk. It's like a recovery group for artists. <laughs> Maybe just this episode? Okay, cool. Yeah, this episode is called AA. <laughs> Artists Anonymous. Except for we're not anonymous. We're not anonymous at all. So you can talk to us about your also artist trauma if you need to. Yeah, um, people need a place to talk about artist trauma. I guess that's what I'm genuinely covering. I'm genuinely serious. When we had that chat a year ago on Instagram, I think that we should start a group, like a recovery group for people who have had this experience. I did it too. I is... just wouldn't want to be defined by a record deal I lost. Like, I don't want to dwell on that too much. No, but it's not about us. It's about the other... But We've moved on in our lives from it. It's about other people who are going through it. Yeah. And we have the I hindsight think... and the experience now to, to actually help people I, who... This episode might... Yeah. done something like that we'll see who are in similar situations <clears throat> who feel like they're how we felt like you're going fucking mental yeah i mean i literally had a mental breakdown yeah during my record deal i did too i haven't even gotten into how no i, I had a nervous breakdown what i did that day and what went the day that you cried the day that i lost it and then like how it made me feel about money after that and how it made me afraid to ever make money again because i was just gonna fuck it up and i didn't deserve it because i didn't know who i was 
See, this is a two. This is a two part episode because for me as well, that day when I bathed at the Vons, I spiraled into. I literally had a nervous breakdown, and I was like having a nervy bee for like three months. Okay, well, we need to wrap this up because the computer's gonna die. Okay, love you, bye. So <laughs> we're realizing from from sharing these experiences that there's a lot to this topic. It's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack, and not just for the two of us, but. Um, I think this is a lot of other artists have gone through something similar and need a place to share. So we will be continuing this conversation. There's a lot more to it. And uh, here we are, Annabelle. That was a here we are. That was a, a big wild one. night. That was we a, that was a fatty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got and befuddled and confused about where this all began. But yeah, let's do a two, maybe three, maybe four parter on the subject. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, this could go on forever, this story. This could be well into 2021. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for coming yeah. to my bedroom. Thank you for coming. I'm gonna just going to sleep here. That's fine. Ryan can sleep on the couch. Okay, great. So, Love you. Love you. Night. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>